What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and you guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. We're welcoming on a special guest today. He has appeared on the show before. This is our first recurring guest. We finally got somebody to come back on. It is Ryan Bloomfield. You guys know him from his work with Baseball Baseball HQ. Of course, he works on the Baseball Forecaster. He was the 2020 FSWA Writer of the Year. And of course, like I said, you guys can find his work on Twitter and at BaseballHQ.com. Ryan, thank you for joining me again here, man. I appreciate you coming back on. Absolutely, Joe. You didn't scare me away too much the first time, a couple months ago, but happy to uh, happy to be, I think, I think the first guest and the first repeat guest. So it's it's been cool to see you take this show uh, back from when I first came on to where it is now and the guests you've had on and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, great to be back with you. Yeah, it was uh, you were on, I believe, the day before the season started, and we talked about some uh, some predictions. Some of them have gone yep. pr- pretty well. Some of them not so well. We were both pretty big on uh, Luke Boyd, who I know someone you wanted to cover today. Uh, a couple other guys, I think we talked about Tyler McGill, who just had an unfortunate yep. run this year. Uh, I think Alex Wood, we also talked about, who's also just had some unfortunate luck. So we we missed, but we also had some uh, some bad luck like those guys did along the way as well, for sure. Well, the the key is, and I, I probably should go back and listen to that episode. Um, that would be kind of cool. I, yeah, I forgot it was right before opening day, and I do remember the Tyler McGill love. But yeah, the key is it's it's bad luck if your your calls don't work out, and it's always your fault when they do work out. Um, that's that's just that's the rules of the game here, man. So uh, why don't we start off with, uh, well, why don't we go back to Luke Voigt? He's someone that you had mentioned uh, earlier in the year, and you said you wanted to talk about him a little bit today as well. The topic of today's show is going to be second half turnaround. So you believe that there is some uh, some light at the end of the tunnel here with Luke Voigt? I do. I guess I'm a little stubborn, but it's also kind of sticking to your process and sticking with a lot of the kind of preseason draft prep that you did when you're looking at you know multiple years of a sample size you tend to get not attached to these players but the analysis that you did for a lot of these guys in March still I think in my opinion holds um in July here in in Voigt's case specifically like just you know his first half was pretty much or at least the the first month or two of his season was pretty much torpedoed by an IL stint a biceps injury and the interesting thing about Luke Voigt is since he came back, so he came back around mid, um, mid-May mid from that injury, kind of worked his way back. But since June 1st, he, Luke Voigt is on a list with Kyle Schwarber, Aaron Judge, J-Rod, Otani. Luke Voigt is number five in Major League Baseball since June 1st in barrels and overall barrel. So the power is absolutely there. I know the strikeout is it strikeout rate is up a little bit, but I think a lot of that, again, just injury related and, and Luke Voigt is kind of getting healthy at the right time with this recent power surge. I mean, this is a guy who led all of baseball in 2020. I know it was with the Yankees, but led all of baseball in home runs. If you're talking about, you know, that buy low or that bounce back type of guy for a half season, Luke Voigt has shown he can be elite, at least in the power department for a half season. I can uh, I can see that happening again now that the bicep injury is behind him and he's fully healthy in a, in a, in a really good lineup with uh, San Diego. Yeah, he's also uh, one other thing. He's got the walk rate back up excuse me, he's got the walk rate back up to where he had it around uh, 2019, uh, 2018, his first couple of seasons. 
it's up to close to 12% over the last couple of years, seven, eight percent. So he's getting on base a little bit more. Like you said, he's showing a lot of power and he's a good buy low. I think a lot of guys we're going to talk about today are going to be in that buy low department. Uh, you guys that you can capitalize on around the all-star break. I think there's some people who are starting to transition a little bit more into the football season and paying a little bit less attention to baseball. So you might be able to capitalize on some people paying less attention and also on some good performances here. And that, and that's really, I mean, that's where you can, and I, and I do this, I do baseball year round. So this is my thing. This is really, this is where you can really start to kind of get that edge and everyone's starting to turn. It seems to go early and earlier with football. Um, but this is where, especially these kind of recent hot streaks and that sort of thing on the trade market is really useful. But then also, again, just kind of uh, grinding away at fab second half when others are not. Are most of the leagues that you play in uh, no trade leagues, mostly just uh, NFBC stuff or? Most, it's about half and half. I play a lot of NFBC, which is obviously no trade, but labor tout wars are all trades leagues. Uh, my home league is a trade league as well. So uh, a little bit mixture of both. And I kind of, I don't know, I go back and forth. Like uh, trading is, it can be a, <laughs> can be fun. It can be a massive waste of time. It can also be like in tout wars where it's an AL only like 12 team league. It can be your only way to really reshuffle and, and deal with injuries just to kind of trade out of, um, out of strengths into weaknesses where you actually have live bodies because the free agent pool is so, um, dire there. So, um, I mean, in, in my case, like I, I kind of prefer the nine trading leagues, but the, the times where you do need to kind of even out your roster, like for example, in labor right now, I've got three closers. I've got Josh Hader. Kenley Jansen and Ryan Helsley, who I guess I'm counting as a, as a closer, I'm doing really well in saves. Like I have that fortune or that ability to kind of trade out of that. And that's something I'll probably do over the all-star break. So um, simple trades like that. I, I like, but the, uh, I mean, we've all heard the stories, the league mates and, and that sort of thing with, you know, send me an offer. What do you, you know, I might possibly be interested in this guy um, that largely for me is not worth my time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know that I've, I've, I might have made one trade this year. I don't, a lot of people, especially now that I've started doing this, for whatever reason, they assume now, like, oh, I've got some inside knowledge or whatever. It's like, no, we're not trading with you. It's like, I don't have any new supreme power that I didn't have last year. I may be paying a little bit more close attention this year, but you know, it's, a, it's a bit of a crapshoot trade, especially, yeah. early on, especially early on in the season. It's, it's a total crapshoot about who's going to end up having value or not. And we still have, you know, two plus months of baseball, half a season left to go. So guys who have been shitty so far could turn it around and vice versa. Guys who might've overperformed uh, might fall off a little bit here. Moving on. Why don't we, uh, I'm going to throw a name at you here. Someone who I've been, like I said, uh, on Twitter to response to a question, I will die on this Hill. And that Hill is Alex Cobb. Another rough outing yesterday. I mean, you look at the advanced stats. He's got a great ground ball rate, 62%, uh, career low hard hit rate of 33. And the XFIP is still uh, 2.96 compared to his 4.71 ERA. Are you, uh, are you with me here thinking there's still hope for him or have you cut ties? Hard to find a pitcher, at least on the surface with luck factors, uh, that has gotten the shaft more than Alex Cobb. So, like, I definitely get it. Um, I mean, at HQ, we've got kind of our own, own our own metrics for things, a 316 ERA to that 471 surface ERA. Like, there's just – it. It's in the ground ball rate, like, uh, and nobody – I mean, that's a, that's a Framber Valdezian uh, ground ball rate for Alex Cobb. The only thing with Alex Cobb is just, like, 
with, and this is large, I mean, in, in a large part, like with the topic of regression and that sort of thing, it's just like he needs to stay healthy and pitch long enough for those luck factors to kind of even out for that Babbitt, for that hit rate. Um, Alex Cobb, I thought entering the season was great on a per inning basis. I just wasn't sure with the volume, how much you would get out of him. So yes, like on a per inning basis, I think nothing has changed with Alex Cobb. He's absolutely one of those kind of quote unquote by lows. If you just look at the, the ERA and the surface whip, I just don't know. He's already got 63 innings under his belt. Um, only pitched 93 innings last year. Hasn't pitched over a hundred uh, since 2018. I just worry that uh, time is running out from a volume standpoint for him to correct that stuff. Yeah. Volume wise. I don't know that we're going to get it. Hopefully something clicks after the all-star break here. Like, like you said, uh, I think he's been the unluckiest pitcher in all of baseball, like a two run difference between the XFIP and the, and the ERA. Like, like you said, the ground ball rate, like everything, everything should point to success. Strikeouts have gone down a little bit recently, but they were at, a, at an all time high for him. I, I have, I have no choice, but to hold out hope. I still have a lot of shares uh, for me. I'm, I'm still going to be, holding on here for the time being anyway. I mean, I'll get to a point like with Trevor Rogers where I kind of have, have given up, oh. but I'm not quite there yet with Cobb. Thank, thanks for that. Trevor Rogers, uh, that PTSD there. I, I have had a lot of Trevor Rogers and for some reason I keep watching him pitch, which is not good for not only just my team stats, but my own kind of sanity and psyche. I need to stop doing it. Did it again last night with a, a lineup that a Pirates lineup that did not have Brian Reynolds or O'Neill Cruz had seven K's, but nothing else went well with that. So, yeah, Trevor Rogers, uh, big miss on my part. Oh, yeah, I think everybody kind of missed that. And I don't think uh, Jack Sawinski was in the lineup last night either. The, all the guys have kind of been producing for them. It's, if, the, if there was an opportunity for him to turn it around, I mean, the worst lineup arguably, well, maybe Oakland can contend for that worst lineup conversation, but right up there, bottom two, three lineup. If he wasn't going to turn it around there, I think I've cut ties where I do currently still roster him. Ah, oh, man. It's, it, like you said, it, it's tough. It's uh, a little bit uh, strain, strenuous on the mental health to even mention him. I'm sorry I even brought him up. Why don't I throw it over to you? Who's another guy that you want to talk about today in terms of a uh, second round, second half turnaround? Um, I'll, I'll go, go to the outfield. I'll just throw a couple guys out here is, uh, Alex Verdugo for me is one who just, he's had, he's, he's someone who you look at the, the surface stats, career low batting average, six home runs, just got his first steal, I believe this week. And, but then you go one level deeper and just look at kind of the contact rate, the contact quality, the, the underlying power, basically everything with Alex Verdugo is pretty much at his career norms. And I mean, even his strikeout rate is actually better than it's been in recent seasons. So Alex Verdugo is someone that's just that classic example of somebody who from a pure skill standpoint is the exact same guy that we thought he would be entering the season, which is not like, you know, not a stud, not a breakout guy, but someone who has modest, you know, five category, great batting average in that lineup, like good runs, good RBI, a few bombs, you know, not many steals, um, but this is the same exact guy. He is just that the, the BABIP has been at an all time low, which is driving down that, um, which is driving down that surface batting average and really the raw power, even though he does only have those six home runs, that's a 7% homer to fly ball rate, which is one of the key metrics that I look at. Uh, Alex Verdugo, his personal baseline is more around that 13% level. So when I see the raw power skills, 
more or less in line, uh, but the homer to fly ball rate is down. I think that's going to tick up. And Alex Verdugo will be kind of the Verdugo we thought he'd be um, in the second half. Another guy who uh, same division, but we'll go we'll go Teoscar Hernandez, someone who I had a lot of early early in draft season. I think just never got going. Had that home run on opening day. You're like, all right, it's Teoscar time. Going to have a great year. Six days later, had an oblique strain was out for a while you wonder like how and that'll be kind of a common theme for me with some of these guys and I mentioned it with Voight is just like injury related um, issues dragging down first half numbers and I think that's been the case with Teoscar he had a great June um, which kind of leads me to believe that he's starting to get past that oblique strain but uh, someone who I think is going to pick it up in the second half just has the track record um, I think in just in larger case Toronto lineup as a whole will pick it up as well so Teoscar someone who I'm not too worried about uh, I think will bounce back second half yeah just to touch on Verdugo real quick I don't have any shares I haven't watched so much of the Red Sox recently but uh, from what I from what I've seen with the numbers he has started to turn it around recently uh, he's batting 304 over the last month. Uh, he's got his lowest BABIP, like you said, only time in his career he's ever been below 300 for BABIP. So all signs yep. point to having a better second half. That lineup is still pretty scary when you look at it in its entirety. Devers, Bogarts, and Martinez. They just just named J.D. Martinez to the All-Star game today. So a yep. lot of a lot of good stuff going on uh, in that lineup. I agree with you there on a second half turnaround. There was one more outfielder that you had uh, mentioned you wanted to bring up before. Uh, Randall Kritchuk. You uh, you think uh, better things are coming for Randall? Funny, I like when I do this, but I I put out a tweet yesterday, like during the afternoon. I say yesterday on Monday um, in the in the afternoon, just saying Randall Grichik, like what a power outage! As someone who in March got traded, like I've always been a big Grichik guy, but never really had the playing time. Um, you know that everyday role. He gets traded to Coors in March. So not only from like a park factor standpoint, but also seemed to be an everyday guy. And then all of a sudden he's hitting 244 with eight home runs through the first half of the season. It's like, where did that power go? And it's interesting. I put out a, um, a rolling graph on, 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 on Twitter and my tweet was fan graph. So, I mean, the big thing with Grichik was just an uncharacteristic fly ball rate. Uh, Grichik's always been able to elevate 42% career fly ball rate. That's down for some reason to 34% this season. But if you look a little bit deeper, um, it really started low. Like through his first 25 games, Grichik had a fly ball rate under 25%, which is just crazy. That has upticked a lot over the last few weeks. And then there's been this issue with, um, and this is actually, you know, everyone kind of, Hates on Twitter, but I got a comment uh, and I did not this. I this I totally missed, but I uh, got a comment from a follower that linked to an article that Gritchick really has been going back and forth between contact lenses and glasses and, and, and that sort of thing, having vision problems throughout the first half of the season, wore glasses for a little bit and then a couple of weeks ago switched back to contacts. And at least says, hey, take that at face value, that he's a lot more comfortable with that now. So um, I just kind of take all those things together, the track record for Grichik, the park, and then that recent kind of uptick in fly ball rate and hard hit rate with uh, maybe him being able to see a little bit better. 
And I think uh, things are are looking very strong for Gritchick right now, especially given, and it was kind of funny with the tweet, like you kind of get, you can kind of take a temperature of what the market feels like on Gritchick. And I got a lot of, oh, I cut him a while ago, or, oh, you know, I only start him against lefties at home. Otherwise I, I drop him or, or whatever. Um, so I think people are down on Randall Gritchick. I think this is a, a pretty good time to kind of jump back in. Yeah, like you said, uh, he's available. I play in a lot of Yahoo leagues, a lot of ESPN leagues where people have cut bait from him. Uh, like you said, the the vision thing could be a real thing. He's walking the lowest rate of his career at only 4.3%. The strikeouts are at the highest they've been in a few years. So that's something to definitely uh, to definitely keep an eye on, not to make a, a shitty pun there. But that was good. I like that one. Definitely, uh, definitely someone that you could probably buy low on or maybe even just pick up off the waiver wire for a little bit of a boost. Well, I'm going to throw another name at you here. Tyler Molly, who is currently on the shelf, but I think it's not expected to be too serious. He'll be back. Uh, I don't know if it'll, I don't think it'll be before the break, but soon after the break, hopefully before the trade deadline, where I'm really hoping that he gets out of great American small park as Bubba likes to refer to it as. He has the seventh worst left on base percentage in all of baseball, only 68.5%, which is something to consider for sure. Uh, his XFIP is 4.04. It's a little bit lower than his ERA. Nothing crazy. But like I said, I'm, I'm hoping, praying for a trade here. I have a lot of shares of Tyler Molly. And looking back to last year, his war, uh, baseball reference war, was 5.1, Fangraphs 3.8. He had a very good season. We haven't really seen that this year. But I think uh, overall we can expect a turnaround from Molly going forward. Do you, uh, do you do you think we can expect that regardless of regardless of trade scenario? Do you think he'll have a better second half? I mean, a trade would obviously help. I mean, that that's not groundbreaking. Tyler Molly not only pitches in a in a really bad ballpark for for pitchers, but it does have pretty pretty wide home road split. So that would absolutely help. I mean, the question is that shoulder strain. Like, how serious is it? And that honestly, that that is a guessing game. It sounds like the Reds are saying it's minor. Of course, they're going to say it's minor. This is the guy that they're trying to push out there at the trade deadline and get maximum value for. So I pretty much take, um, I I pretty much am not taking the Reds, what they're saying at face value, because they're not going to go out and say this is serious and that, and that sort of thing. They're always going to paint that optimistic tone. So we'll see. I'd like to see at least one start of Tyler Malley before um, I really get excited. The interesting thing with Tyler Malley and this happens a lot with like first half samples is you can have a really bad April or really bad start to the season. And that, that stings for a while. So Tyler Malley's case, he had a 645 ERA in April through five starts. That takes a while for him to correct. And someone can actually improve um, in the subsequent months, subsequent starts. And you really don't see it. You look at that season long ERA and it's just not there. So like Molly's ERA by month, 645 in April, 488 in May, and then a 294 in June. And June had a 39 to six strikeout to walk rate. Like that is, that's elite. So um, things are trending correctly for Tyler Malley, at least until the injury. We'll see how serious it is, but I like the in-season improvement. I think he's past that rough April. Uh, we'll see where he goes, if he goes, um, because that means if he gets traded, that means I guess the shoulder is probably okay. So um, someone who I definitely like for the second half. Well, they'll say it. They'll say things publicly, but at the end of the day, to actually get a deal done, whatever team is acquiring him, will give him a, a thorough once over and make sure there's yep. no, there's no uh, bullshit being thrown at them in terms of saying it's not serious. And then it's, God forbid, TJ or something like that. Not expecting anything like that, but that's worst case scenario. But something along those lines, they say he's fine and then he's out for the year or whatever. So I, I, I hope 
we kind of we kind of just have to take them at face value right now. Like you said, kind of have to be a little bit cautious, but I expect that he'll probably be okay. And regardless, uh, like you said, I hope I hope we get him out of out of Cincinnati. It's kind of similar to what happened, like you said, with the high ERA with uh, Luis Castillo, his teammate last year. He was just so t- terrible the first couple months of the year. And he actually had a great second half. And if you look at the numbers, the ERA was close to four. It was, it was looked like a, a decent year. But in, in reality, it was very tough to roster Luis Castillo the first half of last year, which is what we've seen uh, this year from Tyler Molly. Yep, absolutely. And uh, also, thanks for that, Luis Castillo. Uh, reminder from last season, he burned me big time. I, I was hoping Trevor Rogers would be like this year's Castillo, but it's uh, it's in terms of like in-season improvement, but it's, it's not happening. Um, uh, one other guy, just while we're talking pitchers, that, that, that I think, and I feel like I say this every year, I feel like this is 2016, 2017 again, is, is John Gray. And so kind of hear me out on this, but uh, John Gray missed time early in the season with that knee injury. Everyone was all excited. Actually, the market wasn't too excited for him leaving course. I thought the price at ADP this draft season was um, pretty cheap. But John Gray, similar kind of thing with that in-season um, improvement, 70 RA through his first two starts. Again, just kind of ramping up from that knee injury, uh, 5 ERA in May. But you look at his last six starts, uh, 44 strikeouts and 37 innings, which is fantastic, 245 ERA and eight walks. So that's someone who not only um, is improving in-season, but I think is past that knee injury that kind of dragged him down early. We're also seeing that in John Gray's velocity. Uh, so you look at the fastball velocity that is up every single month as well. Fastball velo in April was 94.5, then 95.5, 96.2. And then in July and two starts 96.6. So you look at that in-season improvement in results, skills, health, and velocity. Like I think things are trending the right way for John Gray for the uh, 680th time that I'll say that. Yeah, and it's resulted in the highest strikeout rate that he's ever had, 26.5%. Uh, his ERA is just a tick over four, but the XFIP is at 337. So, And he's had a couple of rough outings. His last couple of starts, there was a good streak, I think four or five in a row, of just absolute beauties, and then a couple of rougher ones here. So you have an opportunity to probably buy low, and depending on where you are, you might be able to pick him up off a waiver wire depending on seriousness of your league. And he's, you know, like you said, getting away from Coors Field does wonders for pitchers. It obviously does the opposite typically for uh, hitters leaving Coors Field. But a pitcher like John Gray, who I'm not going to say he has a track record, but he's got a career ERA of like, what is it, four or something? He's got a career, let's four, see. 4.1, uh, 4.54. 454. In a 133 it's, whip. It's, it's brutal. It's, it's inflated by course he is he is definitely better than that there's no question uh, no yep. question his career xfip 3.76 so he's definitely uh, better than than what we've seen from him for sure there was one other pitcher you wanted to mention i believe mr brandon woodruff who i am a big fan of of course uh, my shares have something to do with it he's come back and he's looked like old brandon woodruff no reason to think in my eyes that he's not going to continue uh, what he's done so far coming off the il yeah, like, I, I, yep, absolutely. Like, so Woodruff just kind of got like the double whammy of uh, of just a bad first half. So on opening day, he got shelled seven earned runs in his first start at Chicago. You probably remember that well, Joe. Oh. You have on a bunch of your teams. Oh, I do, I do. I had Brandon Woodruff and Jose Barrios the double whammy on opening day. I remember. Oh, it was and, lo- and, lovely. And Barrios, well, yeah, Barrios hasn't gotten 
much better. But like with Woodruff, I mean, that's another thing too, is like that one, not even like a bad month to what I was talking about with Maui, like even one bad start like that on opening day, like that's going to wreck your, that, that takes time to correct. Um, and so Woodruff has pitched a lot better, of course, since then, but then had, you know, that kind of double whammy of injuries, had the ankle injury, then had this weird kind of hand thing in June. And so was starting to get a little bit concerned, but Woodruff in three starts since he has been back from the hand injury, um, 27 strikeouts and three starts to three walks. I think he's absolutely a top 10 pitcher the rest of the season, potentially top five. This is the same Brandon Woodruff that we saw in 2020 and 2021. Um, and I mean, I don't, I mean, it's funny, like the industry and what you hear, everyone's kind of touting Brandon Woodruff. So I don't know how, you know, you're buying low or whatever, but if you are engaged in trade discussions, um, I would pay at least 95 cents on the dollar for his preseason value. Like, so there's different like levels of buying low, but like, I, I think you treat Brandon Woodruff as an absolute ace. And if you're looking for trades over the all-star break, he should be uh, valued as such. Yeah. There are some people I know in my home league who just like to look at the season rankings of my home leagues on Yahoo and his rankings uh, will be not great because of that 4.01 ERA which doesn't, doesn't tell you the whole story. There's different levels of fantasy players. So just for example, Brandon Woodruff right now on Yahoo is ranked as 158th player in standard 10 category, a head-to-head league, 158. You can definitely get him at a cheaper cost than you would have had preseason or what you should even be getting right now. Career high strikeout rate this season, believe it or not, 31.9. Still has that great low uh, walk rate. And of course, uh, the XFIP, I love to look at XFIP, 2.98 compared to that uh, north of four ERA. So a great candidate to buy. And like you said, there's different levels of buying low. I think you can buy low on guys without it being, you know, it doesn't have to be dirt cheap. Like Juan Soto is a guy I think you can buy low on. It doesn't necessarily have to be, it's not going to be dirt cheap, but it's going to be cheaper than it would have cost you in April when it would have been a first round player. You would have had to send back. Now it's probably going to cost you quite a pretty penny still, but uh, same thing with Woodruff. It'll definitely be cheaper than it would have been at the beginning of the season. Yeah, no, that's that's really well put, especially with the Soto example. I, I like that a lot. There are uh, have we covered we've covered pretty much everybody, I think. Well, maybe uh, one more guy who got shelled again last night. Well, two nights ago, you guys have been listening to this on Wednesday. Lance Lynn, uh, eight earned runs yesterday. Ooh. He's had he's had uh, a bit of a tough go of it, just, uh, putting it lightly. But when you dig in a little bit, that ERA, which is just just south of seven, it's uh, mirrored. Well, not mirrored, but it's. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for juxtaposed with the XFIP of 4.18. He's only leaving at 52% of runners on base. The BABIP against him has been 347, which is just brutal. And if we remember back to last year, Lance Lynn had a legitimate chance of being the Cy Young winner. I think that he could have won it if he stayed healthy down the stretch. His ERA was 2.69, a uh, great strikeout rate and everything last year. If he stayed healthy, he would have, probably won the ERA crown in the American league and had a chance. So we have to remember that uh, he's still getting his feet wet this year. Only a few starts in. Do you think that there's a good chance of a turnaround or are you, uh, are you a little nervous about Lance Lynn? A little nervous. So this is where I'll, I'll, I'll go in a little different direction. Now I admittedly, I've never really been a Lance Lynn to have missed out on that in previous seasons. The thing with Lynn is like a lot of that value was um, tied to volume. Um, I mean, 208 innings in 2019, 84 innings in 2020, which of course, short season like that, that, that was a heck of a lot of innings yeah. and then only 160 last season, but a lot of that was front loaded kind of went down. 
The thing that I'm concerned about with Lynn is just he's so fastball centric. I'm, I'm worried about the fastball velocity coming off the injury at this age. It's it's 93.5 miles an hour last season. That's down to 92.1 uh, so far this season. And I mean, you could kind of spin that in terms of, OK, well, he's only made six. He's still that Zach Wheeler example where Wheeler earlier this season, you know, was delayed because of shoulder surgery. Everyone was freaking out his first few starts. Velocity was down, getting shelled. And he was, you know, obviously now he's Zach Wheeler. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball this season. That could be the case with Lance Lynn. Um, I'm I'm taking the more pessimistic view, though. Just given given the, given the age, I, I don't know if that fastball velocity is going to bounce back. And for somebody who really relies on the fastball as much, I know he has different kind of shapes of fastballs and cutters, that sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lower than most on, on Lance Lynn the rest of the way. I understand. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I understand the worry, and I'm not totally sold. With, we're not going to see what we saw last year, like a sub three ERA. I don't think, but I still think you can buy low, and if you get hurt, you get hurt. I know that might sound a little bit stupid, but there's a, still a lot of upside there. It is worrisome that he is down uh, a little bit across the board in terms of velocity everywhere, and I'm not sure if he's actually doing anything different, but Fangraphs is classifying what was usually a slider for him as more of a cutter this year. I don't know if he's actually changed anything. It's about the same speed. Uh, not sh- not sure if there's anything really there, if that's playing a factor, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I still have some faith that we'll see a better version. I mean, definitely better than a 7 ERA down the stretch, I think. I mean, I, I pray anyway. You, you hope. You hope. <laughs> would you be happy? I mean, would you be happy with like, and this is always a question like, yeah, better than seven. Would you be happy if he had like a four ERA with a league average whip? Or are you hoping, are you expecting something better? If that's what he ends up giving you, then that's arguably just streamable. You might as well just be streaming the spot in and sometimes you'll get a better option and sometimes you'll get a worse option. I don't, I, I don't know that I'd be happy about that. I'd be happier, but still not thrilled. I think if that was the case, if we could see into the future and that was what he's going to give you a four ERA and like a 1.3 whip or something like that, I'd probably say it'd be better to just stream that spot in, try and get some two start guys and, and, you know, shuffle the deck that way. I don't think people are ready ready to cut bait. I think some people are starting to drop him a little bit, but I'd probably hold on a little bit anyway, see if the all-star break fixes anything. Yeah, that makes sense. And just for what it's worth with eight, at, at Baseball HQ, we have our own uh, projection system, and we've got we've got Lance Lynn projected for a 3.53 ERA the rest of the season, uh, 78K, 74 innings. So, um, so yeah, that would be great if he can give you that. I mean, cut the ERA right Agreed. in half. That would be fantastic. I uh, don't want to keep you for too much longer here, but we will try and get to some of your questions that you guys put out on Twitter. Really appreciate you guys uh, interacting with the show. Bring over some of the Twitter people onto the pod side. That would be fantastic. Convert a few of you, hopefully convert a few of you Twitter followers into pod listeners. That is the goal long-term here. So we'll start with Jack. Jack asked if there's any concerns about Logan Gilbert potentially wearing down in the second half. When I was looking into his numbers, I saw something that shocked me. Uh, The most hard hit balls given up, according to StatCast, a hard hit ball, 95 miles an hour plus. For those of you who are unfamiliar, he has given up the most in the entire major leagues this season. Tied with Patrick Corbin. That is awful, awful, awful name to be awful name. Awful name to be tied with. He has given up the most hard hit balls. He and Patrick Corbin, obviously, a terrible name to be tied with. That's something that I mean, 
it's concerning. It's it's unfortunate that he's paired with the guy who's known as the guy who you play against in DFS and stream against and whatnot. Something else that is a little bit concerning for me with Gilbert, his ERA through May 6th was 136. Through June 14th, it was up to 222, and now it's up to 280. The XFIP is at 380, so I, I'm not worried, but I think we've definitely seen uh, the best version of him that we're going to see this year already. He's not going to get better than what we saw in, in May and June. I agree with that. Um, I, I think, yeah, we're looking more at like a 350 ERA guy the rest of the way. I think that's more, though, because of not really him wearing down, which is kind of that original question, yeah. more just kind of the, the results going back closer to his actual true skill level. In terms of like Logan Gilbert wearing down, I'm not all that concerned. He's got 106 innings already, which is actually quite a bit um, for for starters this season, but had 120, or sorry, 125 in 2021, and then like 135 in 2019. Who knows what he did in 2020? So uh, with these types of questions, I like to kind of just look back and combine the minor league innings pitch with majors and just kind of see... Uh, where he's been at so he's been kind of like a 135 inning guy and then with Seattle in the race like I mean you would expect that to kind of bump up a little bit to maybe like 160 170 I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that with Logan Gilbert the other thing that I look at with these kind of innings and second half breakdown questions is is not only how long did like Logan Gilbert last last season but how are the skills in the second half and last season in the second half his his fastball velocity was actually up a half mile an hour and um, more or less had the same skills in the second half and the first half. So kind of the short, short of it is I don't think Logan Gilbert will break down. I don't think he will get shut down as long as Seattle stays in the race. And they've been a damn team, a damn fun team to watch lately. That Blue Jay series this past weekend was just awesome. But uh, I do think he's more of like a 350 RA guy. Uh, once the, once the results kind of catch up to his true skill level. It might have been awesome for you down here in Toronto. It was uh, like have a, <laughs> have a drink and go to bed kind of weekend. It was it was a tough watch, man. Carlos Santana just absolutely had it. Uh, yeah, and I am admittedly so. I am in Oregon. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest, so I, I do have a little bit of a of a Mariners tilt, a little Mariners bias. But so I, I thought it was I thought it was a pretty fun weekend. Yeah, you mentioned on uh, on bench with Bubba on Bubba and the Bloom that you were thinking about uh, going up there for a game, right? thinking about it, i've got a three-year-old um just couldn't get couldn't get away this weekend and i'm already regretting it because it, we were also talking about that kind of rivalry between blue jay fans and seattle fans it's a really raucous atmosphere when the blue jays come to seattle the the the, the canadians invade t-mobile and um it was it was a great watch on tv but unfortunately didn't, didn't bring the kid up with me or yeah. go myself a lot of people uh, make their way over the border from Vancouver. People come from your neck of the woods yep. and you know, every, every hit it's as if it's a home, it's a home team at bat. Cause there's tons of cheering. You hear blue Jays chance. Then you hear Mariners chance. It's, it's a lot. It was a lot of fun even just to watch on TV. Well, not, not so much fun in the end result, but anyway, just trying to stay along with the, with the vibe of the crowd. I think they were really well attended games, which I'm not sure about their attendance this year, but it's definitely one of their more attended series. Let's keep it going here with another pitcher question. Uh, Jack asked if it's time to sell Mackenzie Gore. I'm, I'm a little worried about Mackenzie Gore, but uh, let, let, I'll leave this one up to you. What do you think about Mackenzie? Yeah, you don't want to react too much over like one outing, and that may be kind of the the root question with Mackenzie Gore is last outing was just a, a total disaster. Eight runs in three and a third innings against San Francisco. 
the larger issue that I have with Mackenzie Gore is a the walk rate is is ticking up as we go. Um, you look at the month long ERA, one seventy six in April, then one sixty nine in May, and then boom, seven twenty seven ERA in June, uh, nine ERA in July. I see a lot of that was that last start, and the skills are not looking good either. The fastball velocity is down, and this is somebody with Mackenzie Gore who does not have that track record of pitching deep into major league seasons. Obviously this is his first year, but he's just had so many problems, well-documented uh, just development issues and that sort of thing coming up in the minors. I I'm, I'm concerned. You've got, I mean, in, in, in Mackenzie Gore's last five starts, he's got uh, a six earned run start in there, an eight earned run start at Coors. And then that other eight earned run start against San Francisco. So um, I'm afraid that the, the, the sell high window on Gore may have been shut in June um i'm probably if i have mckenzie gore and i'm not trading him i'm probably benching him right now see if that velocity comes back see how he looks in his next start before you uh, decide what to do there yeah i sent out a tweet uh, i guess it would have been on sunday talking about how i started shane baz and mckenzie gore in the same head-to-head league completely ruined my whip and era for the week and er- almost every single comment there was like 15 17 comments almost all of them were saying yeah at midnight gore is getting dropped no question i'm done with him I'm not quite there yet, but definitely worrying. And one thing that does worry me is they they do not lack for starting depth out in San Diego. I don't think they'll yeah. worry about going down to five stars because they have like seven viable starters. They have Darvish, they have Musgrove, Clevenger, Snell's looked better his last couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Manaya just had a good course start, which is always nice. Even Nick Martinez has done well for them starting in out of the pen. So they don't lack for starting pitching depth. I don't think they'll worry if uh, if Gore is shit in the bed to put him out in the bullpen or even possibly maybe even send him down depending on how bad it how bad it gets agreed let's move on here uh got offered martin perez for alex wood yes or no uh, i would definitely take alex wood in that trade it would be like a buy low sell high kind of thing for me martin perez has had a couple of bad starts in a row here and wood uh for me is a guy who can turn it around you and i were both big on him going into the year so i'll take the wood side in that trade what about you would you prefer wood over martinez i'll i'll lean i'll lean martin perez over wood uh just i i, I just alex wood scares me i mean similar to the alex cobb thing like the durability um you know someone who yes i, I buy low on a, on a per inning basis but uh someone who i don't know if will pitch enough uh with alex wood to um to kind of realize those full benefits so i'll go martin perez like Yes, we, I mean, similar to what we were saying earlier with other pitchers, uh, or sorry, with uh, Logan Gilbert, we have seen the best of Martin Perez, but I still think he can be um, certainly fine with the, with the ground ball rate of, of, of over 50%, which is excellent. You combine that with a 6% walk rate. Like I love guys that don't walk people and keep them. don't have the sexiest walk rate in the world um, to be plenty effective from an ER or a run pitching standpoint and from wins and, and Perez pitches deep into games as well. So that combination, I, I, I just think Perez is the safer of the two. I think Alex Wood is more of the kind of boomer bust. So I'll, I'll lean safer with Perez. The thing for me with Perez is that this season is just such an outlier as a whole. I just worry it is. <laughs> down, down the stretch, it's just going to all fall apart. I mean, he's had such a great change up. He's been able to locate it so well this season. Last couple of starts haven't been as great. Uh, I, I I defer to you because you've been at this a lot longer than I have, but I think uh, you could probably just about flip a coin, but I would, I would probably 
probably lean Alex Wood just partly because I love San Francisco and what they do with their pitching. I, lo- I love the organization. Yep. I would say if, if I knew that they had the same or at least like a, a similar number of innings pitched the rest of the way, I would go Wood. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's a mental block thing or something with Wood that I uh, just seems to get hurt all the time. So yeah, I we'll agree. See. The Alex is out in San Francisco. Can't catch. And, and maybe, yes, maybe like Alex Cobbs and I'm getting old. Like I get people mixed up all the time. Maybe it's uh, maybe the Alex Cobb risk is leaking into Alex Wood for me like that could absolutely uh be the case well they've been they've been similar similarly unlucky uh, pretty much this whole season that's yep yep similar profile similar name same team yeah just got one last question here it is from tony he wants us to rank in a points league here so we'll just do this pretty quickly uh vinnie p rowdy connor joe uh, mitch hanniger and matt carpenter it's kind of hard uh, in a vacuum. I'm assuming this is going to be like the standard scoring. Uh, I had them ranked out Rowdy, Carpenter, Vinny, Hanniger, and Joe. And that's really a lot dependent on if Hanniger comes back and is healthy because we saw what he could do last year. If he comes back and he's healthy, I think Hanniger would be at the top of the list. I'm just a little bit skeptical after missing so much time. Out of those guys, I think I'll take Rowdy Tellez just because I think he's the most consistent home run producer there. But uh, you can't really go wrong with Matt Carpenter right now either, the way he's been swinging the bat. Yeah, it's tough, honestly. And the, the, he was the hardest rank for me out of this group as Matt Carpenter, because there is a scenario where guys get hurt, whatever. Matt Carpenter falls into pretty regular playing time as a left-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium. And I mean, we've seen in the last couple of weeks, like what that could be. There's this other case where Anthony Rizzo's back. Uh, the Yankees are healthy and Matt Carpenter just kind of goes back to being a utility guy, in which case he would be the lowest for me on this list. So um, I'll kind of put Carpenter in the middle there. I will also Telez uh, first overall. I just, I I've always, he's been a, a, a bloom boards, which is the, my kind of preseason shtick. Um, Telez has been a, a bloom boards darling all season with like, just the combination of contact strikeout rate with hard contact with the barrel rate. And that has come to fruition. Uh, I'll go to Les first. I'll go Vinny P second. I will go then um, Carpenter, Connor, Joe, and then Hanniger. Hanniger. I just, uh, you know, I hate to hate to see it. Like I feel bad for him. Just all the injuries that he's had, the nature of some of these injuries, but um, until he can prove that he can stay healthy, I'll, uh, I'll kind of be, be low on him. Yeah, I mean, last year, uh, still, I still remember last year. He actually killed me in head-to-head a lot of times last year. I, I wasn't big mm-hmm. on him going into the season, and then he had like 40 home runs, 100 RBIs. He was fantastic. I, he won't be that good this year, obviously, but uh, st- I still have I still have hope, a little bit of hope anyway, that post-All-Star break we can get some Mitch Hanniger anyway. And you cheering for uh, cheering for Seattle. I'm sure you guys are hoping for another outfielder. Not that you guys are lacking for outfield depth, but uh, – no, but it would be it would be a hell of a boost, especially if it's anything like the 2021 Mitch Hanley. Like as a, as a from a Seattle perspective, take your time, Mitch. Like, yeah. don't rush it back. Um, come back, and I, I guess the the ETA is like end of July ish. If that bled in later to August, um, to make sure he's healthy, I much prefer that. Just like you said, given the uh, given the um, outfield situation in Seattle. Yeah, no <clears throat> no need to rush him back here. Thank you for coming on again, Ryan, man. I really appreciate you doing this. We ran a bit longer than I anticipated. I hope I didn't keep you from doing anything. It's just uh, really, really great chatting with you again. 
Uh, just day job stuff. Fantasy, fantasy is far more, um, far more important. I kind of say that tongue in cheek, but I also don't. So, um, a lot of fun for you. This is, this has been, a, this has been a blast, Joe. Hopefully, our uh, second half predictions go a little bit better than our pre-opening day ones. Um, but yeah, again, appreciate the the, the invite back, and great to see you uh, ascending in the community here, putting good content out there in terms of. Uh, some Twitter threads and recaps as well as, as well as the show uh, as well. So I, I, I really appreciate that. I'm trying to carve out my little, my little corner of this world that I'm realizing more and more every day. There's so many people in this world who write for baseball HQ and pitcher list and fantasy pros and fan tracks and everywhere. And every day I'm seeing new writers. I didn't know existed in new podcasts. So it's great to be a, a part of this, a small part of this great community. And you have been uh, fantastic coming on, chatting me up really, really Honestly, thank you for for all you've done. Uh, not to get too too deep into it, but you, you've been uh, you've been really great with me, and you've been great with this show early in our in our infancy. We we couldn't have uh, have done it without guys like you coming onto the pod. For sure, man. That that's what it's that's what it's all about. Is uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I've made it or whatever, but like I, I I one of the things I really like to do now that I've been in you know been doing this for so long is just kind of bringing other people up and uh you're definitely one of those guys so i appreciate that man yeah 10 10 plus years right 10 plus years at baseball hq now this is my 10th so it's um it's a sign of me me getting old forgetting players getting them mixed up but i still love it as much as i uh did on day one so that's great to hear for you guys who aren't already following ryan you guys can hit him up on twitter at ryan bhq he writes for Baseball HQ. I think a lot of his stuff uh, is for subscribers, but he also puts out some bloom boards and whatnot on Twitter, give you guys a little bit of a taste. So go ahead, check him out there on Twitter and, of course, at BaseballHQ.com. We'll get you on again at some point, maybe uh, one more time before the season or maybe when the season ends. And we'll talk and see maybe how we did uh, in our preseason predictions and how we did today. Guys, I really appreciate all you tuning in. Like, subscribe, download, do all that good stuff. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.